You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. I'm going to ask you to do something that I have asked you to do for 21 times. Open your Bible to the book of Ephesians for the 22nd time. I'm going to ask you to open the final time to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. We are rounding the fourth corner of the Indianapolis 500 headed toward the finish line. This is the final message. And at the conclusion of this message, we will have covered all 155 verses of this letter, all 3,024 words, because God's words are powerful and important. And that's why we go verse by verse, looking for how God would want to speak to us today. The words are important, and even the words that we say back to God are important. Uh, I don't know about you, but there is this wonderful phenomena that happens weekly, sometimes twice, or even three times a week at my home. Uh, I have a study at home, and it faces toward the front of the home. I can see the street, the driveway. I can see anybody approaching my house, and there is something that weekly makes my heart leap. Maybe it happens for you. There is a brown truck that pulls up. There's a man in a brown shirt that gets out and he's carrying a brown package and it's got my name on it. And something I've ordered from Amazon Prime has arrived. And I don't know why, but it just brings joy to my heart. Good things come in those packages, right? And that's the delivery system for the good things. Well, listen, the delivery system for all good things are our words. And we're going to see that here this morning. How many of you are a parent and you have a child that's living somewhere away from you somewhere? I have two of those critters. Uh, Brooke's 21. She's living in Chicago right now. She's a worship leader at Harvest Bible Chapel over in Chicago. And, um, and I miss her. And I know she knows how to communicate. I've taught her how to, I taught her how to talk and she's mastered the skill and Lord knows she can text. But there are days that go by, I hear no words from her and it makes the heart of a father a little sad and I feel a little distant. And I have a 20 year old son, Zach, he's in college and this summer he's an intern up at our Harvest Church in Spring Lake, about an hour and a half north of here. And I know he knows how to text because I pay for his cell phone plan and I'm like, I want some return on that investment. The father wants to hear some words from the kids. I feel a little disconnected from the kids at times. Am I the only one or do you feel that too? So you appreciate words when they're spoken to you, right? And so words are very important. We're going to look at three important words. Here's the first. The Spirit wants to hear words of prayer. The Spirit invites you to speak words to Him. Look at it here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Are you paying attention? Are you picking up a theme? It's the third time I've said the word all in one verse. With all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Well, there's something there that God wants us to know. If he uses four words, four times the same word in the same verse, something God wants us to know. So let's talk about 
praying here. The Spirit invites words of prayer, and it says here in verse 18 that we're to pray at all times in the Spirit. So let's ask the question, what does that mean? Listen, when he says pray in the Spirit, he is just simply indicating that prayer is a spiritual activity. It connects you with the spiritual world. Last week we learned about our spiritual enemy and that we're called into this spiritual battle and God's given us spiritual armor. The way you put on the spiritual armor and do spiritual battle is in spiritual conversation and the words of the Spirit are actually supplied for us before we pray. Have you ever doubted whether or not your prayers actually get heard? Have you ever, have you, seriously, have you ever spent some time in prayer thinking, I'm talking to walls. Um, God, are you hearing this at all? Are the prayers bouncing off the ceiling? Listen, I, I have prayer times like that all the time. And it's like, I never know what to pray. It's like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to pray. Am I the only one? Don't leave the preacher up here by himself confessing <laughs> sin, okay? Listen, prayer is so hard because I am not real spiritual at times. And sometimes there, I just don't even know what to pray. If that's you, then that is something that you share with all Christians. Here's the thing. Not even the Apostle Paul knew what he was supposed to pray. And that's why he needed the Spirit of God. We read that in Romans chapter 8. Paul is writing this and he's saying, likewise, the Spirit helps us. Is that the most encouraging thing you've ever heard? The Spirit helps us, us people in our weaknesses, all the weak people. Now, for those of you that are super spiritual and super strong and you don't need any help from the Spirit, you just go right ahead and talk to the wall. But those of us that are weak, we need the Spirit to tell us actually what we're supposed to pray. He helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray. Who's writing this? The Apostle Paul didn't know what to pray. If he didn't know what to pray, what hope do I have? So we do not know what we're supposed to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We're talking about words. And so notice who's doing the groaning here. It's not just you grunting and groaning and moaning. He's the one groaning. He's agonizing over you in prayer. And that means... The Spirit actually supplies the words. Who initiates prayer? The Spirit initiates prayer. And He invites those words out of me. The words for prayer are given to you and you just give those right back to God. The Spirit invites your words of prayer. And He tells us when we're supposed to pray. In verse 18, praying when? At all times. Does that mean we're supposed to pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year? I don't know about you, but I got a few other things on the calendar. Anybody? So uh, intellectual person, ask an intellectual question. When am I supposed to pray? Well, I am supposed to pray at all times. You're supposed to be in a constant conversation with God. However, that constant conversation with God is probably not going to happen if you don't have a daily, focused, isolated 
time in prayer alone with God, music off, TV off, you're not driving, you're not working, you're not mowing the grass, you're not checking Facebook. All you're doing is praying. If that doesn't happen, good luck having a conversation with God the rest of the day. But you're supposed to pray at all times. Notice, you don't just pray in the good times. And you don't just pray in the bad times. I don't know about you, I'm a little more motivated to pray when things are going bad. When there's a kid that's sick or there's somebody that's mad at me or there's no money in the bank. How many of you are really good at praying at those times? That's not, the only, that's not a bad time to pray, but that's not the only time to pray. You're to pray at all times. It tells us when to pray. Not only that, it tells us what to pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So he makes a distinction between prayer and supplication. I'm not quite sure what the difference is, but the Bible does indicate there's lots of kinds of prayers. I'm going to show you four kinds of prayers here in just a minute. We'll keep moving though. He tells me when to pray, what to pray, and he tells me for whom to pray with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. The word perseverance implies this is hard work. You're going to want to quit. There's going to be times we don't see the answer to your prayer in the first 24 hours you're praying. There are going to be times you don't see the prayer answered in the first year, the first decade. And he says, keep praying. Don't ever give up. It's your only source of hope for seeing the activity of God in your life with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. How many of the saints? All the saints. Did you know that some of the saints are annoying? <laughs> Did you know that some of the saints are less than encouraging? Did you know that some of the saints are really slow in their sanctification? How many of you know some of these saints? How many of you are some of these saints? I can be a little annoying at times as a saint. Sometimes I don't look very much like a saint. Those are the ones that need prayer. Pray for all the saints, not just the ones you like, not just the ones that fix you meals, invite you over, but pray for those people. Not complaining not criticizing, but praying. Not talking about them to your friends, but talking about them to God, who knows exactly what they need. So we're to be praying. Let me ask you a question. How much of the activity of God did you see in your life in the last seven days? Can you point to specific things that you saw God do? Some of you are like, uh, kind of, sort of. Did you see God do specific things? Listen, God does specific things in response to specific prayers for specific needs so he can get specific glory for what he does. Let me put the question a different way. What if God 
only did in the next seven days in your life what you specifically asked him to do. How much of the activity of God would you see in the next seven days? Do you know there is a sense in which that is actually what the Bible teaches God does? There are some things that God does not do without you specifically asking him to do it. We sit around waiting for God to work. We sit around waiting for God to change things in our life or change things in other people. Have you specifically asked him in a focused time of prayer, God, I'm so urgent. I'm so serious. I need you to show up. I need you. That's praying in the spirit. At all times, for all the saints, with all perseverance, so God can get all the glory. I told you there's kind of four different, there's different kinds of prayers. A couple of years ago, we were studying the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2. Do you remember how many of you here for 1 Timothy? You remember going vaguely through that? And in chapter 2, it tells us there's four kinds of prayers. And we kind of had a little um, series, of a, a, we called it the rhythm of prayer. And our youth, our student pastor, Tyler, was reminding me of, of that, that for two years, their families really used this rhythm in their family prayer time. And I want to remind you of those things that we talked about. The first kind of prayer, you can sum it up in the word, wow. Everybody say, wow. In this prayer, you don't ask God for anything. All you do is ascribe glory to God. You call attention to who he is and what he's done. And these are prayers that flow from my desire for intimacy with God. I'm not asking God for anything other than himself. I want to know you, God. So your prayer sounds like this. Wow, what a God. You're so holy. You're so righteous. You're so pure. You're so powerful. You're so sovereign. You're so merciful. You're so kind. You're so forgiving. All you're doing is ascribing glory to God. And the second half of that wow goes like this. Not only wow, what a God, but wow, what a mess. I am. In light of who you are, there's so much unfinished business in me, Lord. And I know you saw last week when I had that bad attitude, that lustful thought and my failure to be diligent in prayer. And God, I am such a mess, but I'm coming to you. You know who I am. And I confess to you all of this unfinished business in my life. Notice I haven't asked God for anything. I'm just working on the relationship. But then it transfers from wow to help. Probably the most often repeated prayer in my life. Help! I just don't know what else to ask but for help. This is what's called supplication. We saw it twice in verse 18. The word supplication comes from the root word supply. And so what you're acknowledging is, God, I am short on the supply. I need grace. I need strength. I need health. I need money. I need you to fix this relationship. God, I don't have the love that I need for my children, for my spouse. God, would you supply from outside of me that which I currently am empty of? That's help. So wow, help, and then come. Remember when Jesus taught us to pray? Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We want to get 
God's will done in this geographical territory the way it's being done in heaven. We want your rule and your reign to be happening right here in this service, in this home, in this family, in this job, the way right now it's happening in heaven. God, would you come? That's intercession and intercession flows from sensing another's need. So now we expand our prayer from ourself, not just help me, but help others, and think about the concentric circles. Who are the closest people to you? If you're married, that's your spouse. Now you can pray for your spouse and you should pray with your spouse. Andrea and I committed early in our marriage. We would never let a 24 hour period of time pass by without praying out loud together. Sometimes those are not really impressive prayers. Those are 15 second prayers sometimes. Sometimes those are one word prayers. Help! But we're praying. We're praying. And the Lord takes those prayers and intercedes for us. He knows what we're supposed to be praying. And so we ask God to come maybe in our, in our marriage and then expand that out. Who, who, what's the next layer? Children. Lord knows they need prayer, right? And so we're praying for them. And then beyond that, we expand it to our church. All the saints. That's where you pray for your pastor right there in that circle. And then you can expand it out to the people that you engage in your workplace and expand it out to the world. You know what I find so often in prayer meetings and in, in interaction with people? We start, we start, Lord, would you pray for, the, would you help the missionary over there in Liberia? And, and, and it's like, what? Aren't we a little more intimately acquainted with what's going on right here in our own zip code? And so we need to start from the inside and work it out. God, would you come here? Would you come there and expand that out? Wow, help, come. And what's the last one? Thanks, of course. When God answers prayer, we have to thank Him. Thanksgiving follows an answered prayer the same way that a sunrise follows midnight. And so when God shows up, we, we give Him thanksgiving. It flows from seeing God's goodness in our lives. What are you praying for? What have you thanked God for this week? Maybe you haven't seen His goodness because you never said, help, come, I need you in this, I need your supply. This week, can I challenge you? Have a focused time every day. I don't know about you, I gotta do that before anybody else wakes up in the house or it just doesn't get done. And so maybe you need to wake up 15 minutes early and get before God praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints how many of you remember jeremiah canfield you know who jeremiah canfield is Jeremiah Canfield was a young man that was in our church. We raised him up. God gave him a burden to plant a church. We said, we can help with that. And so we sent him to our Harvest Training Center in Chicago. God sent him to Pittsburgh. And uh, you got to know Jeremiah is a man of prayer. Jeremiah prays big things. And Jeremiah and his church have been praying for a building. They're three years in. They've been meeting at a, mi a middle school auditorium, having church, setting up, tearing down. How many of you were with us when we did that over at North Point Elementary School? How many of you said, thank you, God, for a building that he provided? And how many of you know it's a, a miracle for a church to get a building? 
that's a miracle in answer to prayer. And I know Jeremiah's been praying that. Well, I got to let you know just a little update so you can thank God with us. For three years, they've been meeting in this middle school, praying that God would give them a building. There was a church actually adjacent to the middle school that had died, shut down, cobwebs, for sale sign, overgrown, sat there for about 10 years. I think it was an old Episcopal church that had died. And they began praying for that church. Last Sunday, they moved in to that building. God supplied what they lacked. And so they had their first service at that place and they realized we're going to have to have two services in that place real quick because God is working there. And so we can rejoice in what God's doing in answer to prayer. Here's the second thing. The world needs to hear words of the gospel. Verse 19. Praying also for me. Who's writing that? Who's the antecedent of the word me? The Apostle Paul. He says, pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. For those of you that are part of our church, you know that our church has four pillars. Our fourth pillar is based on this verse, sharing the good news of Jesus with Boldness. He says in verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Our words are the delivery system of the gospel. Do you understand the only thing that stands between the heart of God and the heart of a lost person? are the words that come out of my mouth and your mouth. They're waiting for our words. And so I would challenge you, speak the words that are given to you to speak. It blows me away that I read that the Apostle Paul did not feel adequate or competent with his own words. This is the greatest theologian, probably had the most intimacy with God of anyone who ever lived. And yet he asked the church that God would give him words. He wasn't, he wasn't relying upon his own vocabulary, his own articulation of the gospel. I've told you many times, if I thought that someone's response to the gospel was dependent upon my ability to articulate it, I would kill myself. Do you know the pressure that it relieves to understand that the words are not scripted, the words are supplied? Pray that God would give the words. And so I know what some of you are saying. Oh, Trent, I pray for you every Sunday that you... No, 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 no. Thank you. Thank you. I feel those prayers. Some of you are praying those for selfish reasons so you won't be bored in church. God, would you please give him something to say? Keep my kid awake in church. Okay, I appreciate those prayers. Thank you. I think God answers those prayers. But you've got to get away from the understanding of what's happening up here. Very few people will get to do this. I'm praying for you that God would give you the words 
to speak the mystery of the gospel boldly as you ought to speak. If you feel incompetent, if you feel like a scaredy cat, and I don't know how to say it, and I don't have all the answers, listen, let me just remove all doubt. You don't, and no one ever has. But the Spirit will give you the words. All you have to do is to be faithful, first of all, to listen before you open your mouth, shut your mouth, listen to the words that the Spirit gives you, and then open your mouth. God will give you the ability to speak into a person's life at the exact moment with the exact word that they need. Listen. I've, I've got a friend, I've engaged him a little bit in the community, doesn't come to our church, and, and I'm not quite sure where he is with the Lord. And um, I've just kind of sent some insecurities with him, and I can just tell things are probably not going great in his life, and just some comments that he's made. And uh, he was just kind of telling me some of this, and it was just in a public setting, and, and I just listened to the Spirit and tried to give him some words, the good news, the gospel, and, and what God wants to do in his life. And it's not about you, and it's about God, and our separation from God is really the biggest problem we have. And Jesus, and I just said, as he was articulating, even some health issues, a terminal illness actually that he has, and I just said, can I pray for you? And he said, yes. He didn't know that I meant like right there on the spot, in public, out loud. And so I Great. I just grabbed him by the neck so he wouldn't leave. And I prayed. And I prayed not only for his physical health, but his spiritual health. And just prayed the words that God would give and just intertwine the gospel in all of that. And it just, it's like, I don't know. But you know what? That was about two months ago. He came up to me this week. And he, he just initiated the, the conversation. He said, I want you to know how much that meant to me. And I want you to know that I've started going to church again really hadn't been in years. And so God somehow used that, not, not me. And I'd say, so often I walk away from those conversations feeling so frustrated because if you can probably imagine, I'm waiting for somebody to like, you know, fall on their knees and repent of sin and just cry out to Christ. And, and that, that rarely happens. And yet we have to give the words at the time to the people God prompts us to give. Speak the words with your mouth. You're like, you couldn't come up with anything more profound than that? I don't have to be profound. I just have to be accurate. That's what it says in verse 19. It says that words may be given to me in opening my mouth. Have you heard it said, preach the gospel, if necessary, use words? Have you ever heard that saying before? It's been attributed to a lot of different historic Christian characters. St. Francis of Assisi was one of those. Listen, fundamentally, we, we understand what that's saying. It's saying that my life ought to match my lips, right? If I'm going to preach the gospel with my lips, there better be some evidence in my life. But there's a slight implication in there that words are not necessary to preach the gospel. And that is false. Words are necessary. Your mouth is the vehicle. It's the delivery system of the package that is the gospel. If all you do is preach the gospel with your life, people are going to walk away really impressed what, with what you have done. 
You're so awesome. If you preach the gospel with your mouth, they're going to walk away really impressed with what Christ has done. He's so awesome. Words are necessary. And so we understand that we're the delivery system. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 says this, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How then will they believe in Him of whom they've never heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching with words? And so say it with your mouth and speak it with boldness. Listen, if you think somehow you have to shave off the rough edges of the gospel, if you kind of have to reduce the demands that someone follow Christ to die to self, to repent of sin, to make Him not only Savior but Lord, then you have no understanding of what the real gospel really is. It is in vogue. Churches think that somehow to draw a crowd, we better be nice. We better not tell them all the things about the gospel, things like dying and the cross and the whole blood thing and the whole like you could lose your life and be really persecuted for this and you could be really hated. Yeah, let's don't tell them that. There are some essential words of the gospel. I've, I've told you so many times, it saturates so, much, so many of my messages here, but do you know what the essential words, would you be able to have a conversation with somebody around the gospel? And so many of you are real free to talk about sports or what your kids are doing. Have you ever just stopped long enough for a person that you care about and just say, hey, we, we've talked about so many different things. Could we have lunch this next week? And would you allow me to tell you the most important thing to me. If you have any kind of relationship with all with that person, they're going to accept that invitation, especially if you buy lunch. I've learned that Mexican restaurants make for great gospel conversations. And so to sit across a table from somebody and just to articulate his story, who he is, what he's done, and how that's impacted you, now you're talking about your story and how that became important to you and how he's changed your life and to help them understand what is essential for them to be made right with God. Do you know these words? I've said it so often. If you were to reduce it, pack it, summarize it, simple form, God is holy, man is sinful, Christ is Savior, repent and believe. Without those concepts, you don't have the real gospel. And so the gospel doesn't start with me. It doesn't start with, God has a wonderful purpose for me. It's all about me. No, the gospel starts with God is not like me. God is other than me. God is creator. And he created me, and yet I am flawed and broken and sinful, and I kind of want to be my own God. And I've kind of, through my own independence, declared war on God because I don't like God's rules. I like to set the rules, and we're all broken and flawed in that way. And so God is holy, but I am sinful. Good news, Christ is a Savior. Jesus 
came as a man, though he was God, wrapped a human body around himself and for 33 years lived a life. It wasn't just a good life. It was a perfect life. And it was a representative life. It was a substitute life for the life that I should have lived. He lived the life I should have lived. And at the end of his life, he died the death I should have died because on the cross, God the Father treated God the Son as if he had committed my sin. So that if I repent and believe, God the Father can treat me as if I had lived the perfect life of Christ. Two things necessary for me to go to heaven. My penalty has to be paid. That happened through Jesus' death. Number two, my perfection has to be performed. That happened with Jesus' life. And for all those that will stop trusting in themselves and trust the righteousness of Christ in His life and trust the substitutionary death of Christ, they can be made right with God. Those are essential words for the gospel. Do you know how to share that at any level with anybody? Now listen, you say, I wasn't taking notes fast enough and I, I don't know. Listen, listen, God gives you the words. And you don't have to say every word every time. You may have a conversation with somebody over a period of a year that those words come up and that your story comes out. And all of a sudden, God ignites faith in the heart of someone who's a dead sinner and activates faith, ignites life, converts them, regenerates them, justifies them, declares them righteous before God in heaven so that one day they can have a home in heaven. But speak the words with boldness. And then this, speak the words of an ambassador. Look at verse 20. For which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Do you see the word ambassador there? And do you see the words in chains? Remember, Paul's reminded us like three different times, he's writing this letter sitting in a prison cell. Do you know why he was sitting in a prison cell in chains? Because he wouldn't stop opening his mouth. And the reason he wouldn't stop opening his mouth is because he loved lost people more than he loved his freedom. And he was an ambassador. You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is someone sent from a king into a hostile territory to deliver a message from the king. The ambassador doesn't have to make up the message. The ambassador's job is simply to deliver it as it was said. The ambassador shouldn't mess with the message. You just have to accurately deliver it in hopes that they will receive the message and have a better relationship with the king. You're just an ambassador. And the Apostle Paul understood this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, he said, We are ambassadors of Christ, God making His appeal through us. We're just the channel. And so we implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. That is the only reason God has left you on the planet after your conversion, is to be an ambassador for Him. And then finally, the church needs words of encouragement. Let's talk about us for a minute. The church. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're connected to the body, 
and you're a part of His church. And so look at verse 21. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus. Now that is a great baby name. If you're pregnant and you're having a kid, a male, Tychicus, I highly recommend the name. Here's the reason why. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister. How many people on the planet can carry the weight of those two statements? Beloved brother. There's an intimacy there. And faithful minister. He's representing God to serve, to meet need. Do you know, do you know any Tychicus in your life? The church needs more Tychicuses. And so let's get those baby names coming through there and we'll have baby dedication. I can't wait to baby. Lord, we dedicate baby Tychicus to you. <laughs> Beloved brother, faithful minister in the Lord. And notice his job. He will tell you everything. Isn't that what church is all about? Listen, it's not about me telling you everything. You should come and you should hear the reports of how we're doing and what God is doing in and among this church. That's what Tychicus was doing. Paul said, he'll tell you how I am and what I'm doing. And so there should be the Tychicus report that goes out every week. Do you know how much effort we as a church staff put into giving you the report of how we're doing and what God is doing through this church? As a matter of fact, you receive a Tychicus report every week in your email inbox. How many of you receive the Tychicus report? You say, I don't know what you're doing. It looks like this. It's the twa. You seen the twa? Some of you have seen that. It's like unsubscribe. I don't want to know what's going on. This week at Harvest, that is the Tychicus report. We're trying to tell you what we're doing, what God is doing, and where you fit in. And so it's like, I don't get that anymore. It's because you unsubscribed. If you email the church, we'll get you right back on there. If you're on social media, it's on Facebook, it's on Instagram, it comes at you. We're trying to get God's activity published so that we can know how we're doing and what the activity is among us that God is doing. Then verse 22, Paul says, I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Listen, churches are dying all around us. By God's grace, not here. God is at work and you should rejoice in what God is doing. It should encourage your hearts to hear what God is doing. And if he's not doing it in you, maybe you need to return to the first point. The Spirit invites words of prayer to hear you ask God to do that in your life. And notice here in verse 23, peace be to the brothers. He begins to talk about the four greatest words of encouragement. Peace. Indestructible peace. Peace be to the brothers. It's so interesting to me. He's writing about peace while he has chains around his hands and legs. He's writing about an indestructible peace while he's talking about 
the spiritual battle that we engage in every day. There is an indestructible peace that cannot be destroyed by persecution, by chains, or by spiritual warfare. Do you have it? An indestructible peace. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith. Now he talks about this invisible faith that we have. I couldn't help but think about these massive principles that we have to choose to believe by faith that he's already talked about in the letter. Do you remember how we talked about the Ephesian letter is divided into two different parts? The first three chapters is about the indicatives, about my identity in Christ. This is what is true of me that I have to embrace by faith. What are those things? Do you remember? He told me way back in chapter one that I am chosen. I believe that by faith. I am holy. I didn't look very holy on Tuesday at 3.30, but God, you said by faith, I'm embracing my identity, that I am blameless, that I am adopted as a son through Jesus Christ. I have redemption through his blood. I'm sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I have a guaranteed inheritance waiting for me in heaven. I am raised up with him and seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I am saved by grace through faith. I believe. No matter what I see, those things are true because, God, you have said it about me in your word. Do you believe it? An invisible faith. And then he says this, an indescribable grace. Look at verse 24, the 155th verse that we've looked at in Ephesians. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ. We've sung about amazing grace this morning. And so often we think about the amazing grace that saved us, saved a wretch like me. But do you understand that it is grace that is required to continue to save me? I need grace every day, not just to keep me safe, but grace to actually obey what God says I'm supposed to do. Because the book of Ephesians is not just about my identity in Christ, the indicatives in the first three chapters. The next three chapters is a list of imperatives that tell me about my activity in Christ. And the only way I can fulfill the imperatives is by God's grace. And so by God's grace, I can walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which I have been called. By God's grace, I can put off falsehood and anger and bitterness and immorality as it tells me to do in chapter four. By God's grace, I can put on truth and forgiveness and holiness. By God's grace, I can love and lead my wife, husbands. By God's grace, I as a wife, you as a wife can submit and respect and support your husband. By God's grace, you can raise your children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. By God's grace, you can honor and obey your parents in the Lord. By God's grace, I can stand strong against the schemes of the enemy. Only by God's grace. That's why he says in the last verse, grace be to you, because you're not going to get it done without that. And then he says this, with love, indestructible, indestructible love. Do you love Christ because of what he has done 
for who he is because he is ready to give you what you need if you will use your words to invite God to do what only he can do in your life. Use your words to speak the gospel boldly. First person you need to preach the gospel to every day is yourself. Then you can preach it out there and by God's grace and by your words, you can encourage those that need to hear. There is an indestructible peace. There is an invisible faith. There is an indescribable grace and there is an incorruptible love that we share as a church. It's Memorial Day weekend, the day when we honor those that have given the ultimate sacrifice to purchase our freedom. We're going to end the service this morning by celebrating the Lord's Supper because Christ has given us a memorial as well. He is the one that paid the greatest price, that gave the greatest sacrifice to secure the greatest freedom. So the ushers have come. They're going to distribute these elements to you right now. And we're going to enter into this time of reflection on what the Lord has done. And let this be something that ignites your love for the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Let your heart be encouraged by what He has done. And so as you take these elements, you'll notice as you take the cup, it's actually double cupped. The bread is in the bottom. The juice is on the top. Just take that and hold it. Listen, if you have never repented of sin, placed your faith in Christ, then just let that cup pass for now in hopes that one day, maybe even today, you'll embrace the forgiveness of sin provided on that cross in Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, you can do that right now in your heart by faith. But for those of us that have, we want to reflect on that time.